This is Audible. The doctor raked his fingers across the guitar strings, creating an electric kerrang. The doctor is in the house, he yelled, and his voice echoed around the cavernous amphitheatre. Several thousand irritated audience members craned their necks back towards the cave's entrance to see which idiot was creating this scene. Far down on the stage, a crocodilian piano player glared up at him. Oh, sorry, called the doctor. Bit early. As two brawny bouncers moved towards him, the piano player spoke into his microphone. No, no, he growled. Let him stay. We love all our fans, especially the enthusiastic older generation. The bouncers held back and the audience applauded. Older generation? Is he talking about me? said the doctor, self-consciously ruffling his unruly grey hair and smoothing down the lapels of his maroon frock coat. The piano player took a breath and broke into a song. It was a bluesy, albeit upbeat number. Something about his baby having left him on the spaceway down to Mars, while he simultaneously banged out an entangling tune with his seven-digit hands. Standing just behind him were his three unusual bandmates, who all ably kept up. A giant stick insect half hidden behind his double bass, a nimble ape playing the drums with all four limbs plus his tail, and a pale, elephantine creature who blew with tremendous lung power into a trumpet. This must be the warm-up act, thought the doctor, as he stepped deeper into the massive music venue. It was known as The Hollow, and had a series of natural terraces that stepped down towards the stage, each lined with tables. Spotting an empty seat, the doctor galloped down to grab it. A waitress immediately appeared asking what he wanted to drink. The doctor glanced at the table to the left of him. There, a skinny young man with thinning hair nursed a bright blue liquid containing floaty green bits, while all the time furtively watching the stage. What are you drinking? asked the doctor. The man glanced over, a brief look of worry on his face. Oh, eh, uh, bimbery and catch a mocktail. I'll have one of those, said the doctor, and the waitress left to fetch his order. The young man's eyes snapped back to the stage as a single bead of sweat rolled down his cheek. You're leaking, said the doctor. Sorry? asked the man. I said you're leaking, but it's not that warm in here. Did you know it's the thick, cool atmosphere of Quish that makes the hollow one of the best music venues in the galaxy? Fantastic acoustics, all natural. Quite a feat for a ball of rock on the edge of nowhere. The man nodded politely. I'm not usually in such a chatty mood. I guess it's the excitement. I'm the doctor, by the way. The doctor pulled a thin wallet from inside his coat and casually flashed the blank psychic paper within. Suddenly, the young man was all starry-eyed. You work for Interstellar Music Monthly. My name's Tommy Loco. I'm a music journalist myself. Er, uh, can you give me a job? The doctor smiled. No, I can't give you a job. I'm just here to see Riffs in Time. Tommy looked confused. Riffs in Time? Oh, come on. Call yourself a music journalist. Riffs in time. The gods of electric rock. Literally, gods. They can move mountains, apparently. Tonight's their final gig. I've been meaning to catch it for three centuries, but, you know, stuff gets in the way. No, 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 said Tommy. Riffs in time broke up 37 years ago. You mean, I'm not early, said the doctor. I'm late. Again. So, what are you saying? That lot on stage of the main act... Tommy looked surprised. 
You mean, you've never heard of the Blitzatz Jazz Quartet? The waitress delivered the doctor's drink, and he took a deflated sip. Jazz? I was into jazz when I was younger, but these days it all sounds far too... buzzy. The Blitzatz have been around for 200 years, said Tommy. The band's always changing. They've had 63 members, but the music remains outstanding. The doctor noticed that the band's strange, euphoric melancholy had the entire audience enthralled. He also noticed that more beads of sweat were forming on Tommy's brow. I see, said the doctor. So, why do they make you nervous? Because you're still leaking. As the band played on, Tommy looked the doctor straight in the eye. Because there's every chance we may not leave this gig alive. Doctor Who, Rhythm of Destruction by Darren Jones. Read by Dan Stark. What do you mean, we might not leave alive? asked the doctor. Tommy fell silent, as if he'd already said too much to a stranger. The doctor took another sip of his mocktail. Is that why you're being covert? You're slouching, avoiding the band's eyeline. The Blitzatz Jazz Quartet finished their blues number, and the audience answered with a roar of applause. Tommy nodded towards the stage. Listen up, he said. The crocodilian band leader stood up from the piano and waved the crowd to silence. Thank you, thank you, he said. I have been Gilius Vega Razor. He took more applause and then pointed to the ape drum player. On drums, bleep the creep. Cleep began to tap out a quiet rhythm across three different cymbals. On double bass, gricket. The stick insect twirled the bass just to prove how thin he was, then played over Pleep by strumming a different tune. Achilles moved on to the band's trumpet player. And finally, our longest serving member and unbeatable trumpeter, it's the one and only Tiny G. The elephantine alien blew a deafening note and then jammed along with his bandmates as the sounds they made harmonised into music. The audience began clapping in rhythm and Achilles lumbered back to his piano. And we are the Blitzad's Jazz Quartet. As the audience roared louder, Tommy Loco seemed to relax a little, but the doctor wasn't sure if that was from relief or disappointment. Maybe I was wrong, Tommy said. But on stage, instead of sitting down to play, Kilius scanned the audience. Tommy slouched further into his seat to avoid detection, but Kilius found who he was looking for. He pointed out a well-dressed man sitting in a private alcove carved high into the cavern wall. We would like to dedicate our encore to Theobald Crane, Vice President of Caroline, the greatest nation on planet Flory 5. The crowd's applause rose again as the Carolandic Vice President stood to acknowledge the honour. Killius stretched his long fingers, then sat and began to play. Tommy jumped out of his seat. Aren't you staying for the end? asked the doctor. I never stay for the encore, said Tommy. I suggest you don't either. Wait a minute. The doctor reached out to stop him, but Tommy rushed past. 
Whatever's going to happen, you can't stop it. And the young man bounded out and was gone. The doctor considered following him, but his curiosity wouldn't allow it. There was something odd about this jazz band, and he had to stay and find out what. Tommy rushed out of the hollow and headed across the vast parking lot of spacecraft. Some were luxurious, some were huge, and others, like his own hired rover, were not so impressive, but probably belonged to the true jazz fans. In Tommy's case, it was all he could afford to get from planet to planet and continue his investigation. He was getting close now. He only needed a little more evidence, and he hoped the next Blitzatz gig would provide the very thing, a living witness. It would be a massive breakthrough, just as long as she wasn't luring him to his death to protect her identity. Tommy climbed into the rover and glanced back at the hollow. That doctor guy had been strange, a bit intense, but Tommy had kind of warmed to him in their brief exchange. There was no sign of him leaving, but that couldn't be helped. He'd given him a warning. Whatever was about to happen in there, the doctor was on his own. Tommy punched in a set of coordinates and the rover blasted off from the surface of Quish, leaving it far behind. Back inside the hollow, the band's music increased in tempo and intensity. There was no singing this time, just a concordant ambrosial sound, almost hypnotic. The crowd was stunned with wonder, and even the doctor had to admire the band's talent. But something nagged at his brain, something within the syncopation, something small but powerful, a pulse that shouldn't be there, folded into the music. That's wrong, thought the doctor, very wrong. If Tommy was right, it was probably lethal. He leapt to his feet and raced along the terrace, telling people to leave, encouraging them to follow him. But his words were drowned out by the music. He grabbed a smart-looking punter by the shoulder and tried to pull him from his seat. He had to save someone. But the man shrugged him off and shoved him away. The two burly bouncers were suddenly at the doctor's side. Grabbing hold of either arm, they lifted his tall frame off the floor and carried him towards the exit tunnel. The doctor struggled in protest. Wait! Wait! There's something in the music! Something wrong! As he craned his neck to view the stage, the doctor caught the eye of Kilius Vega Razor, who held his gaze with a knowing look. The quartet reached their crescendo and held the last note for what seemed an impossible amount of time before it finally faded. Then the crowd rose in unison, cheering and whooping, demanding more, more, more. The quartet stood and politely bowed, and then, without further word, Surrounded by a shimmer of light, they vanished as a transmat beam bore them away. The bouncers dragged the doctor up through the exit tunnel and hurled him roughly into the parking lot. You both for life, said the uglier one. The doctor got to his feet and brushed the dust from his coat. That's what you said the last time, he told them. In fact, on that occasion, it had been his young friend Ace's fault the result of an altercation involving a baseball bat and a euphonium. As the crowd started to file out of the hollow and return to their transports, the mood was one of elation. Nothing bad had happened, nothing at all which made the doctor wonder. Was he always on the lookout for the unexpected and dangerous? Perhaps Tommy Loco was just a paranoid individual who'd fed the doctor's suspicious subconscious. The doctor approached a blue 20th century police box, in reality his ship, the TARDIS parked under the wing of a huge star cruiser. 
There was plenty of room in the designated parking bay for the little space-time machine to share. Nobody had noticed it, and so nobody noticed the doctor open its door and step into the impossibly large control room beyond. He really should catch riffs in time's last gig, he thought, but he was no longer in the mood for music. That strange pulse had given him a headache, and, notwithstanding the occasional blow to the head, the doctor rarely suffered from headaches. Maybe some quiet time was needed. Perhaps a week by the lake of eternal breeze, or an amble through the muted forest, or even somewhere on earth, long before the invention of the mobile phone. The doctor yanked the dematerialization lever on the central console, and the TARDIS's engines began to groan. Immediately, an alarm started bleeping, and the console ignited with multiple warning lights. What? What is it? asked the doctor, studying the instrumentation. Gravity fluctuations! Space-time distortion! Matter integrity failure? He reached for a console monitor and spun it into view. It showed Quish, receding in space, but the whole planetoid was crumbling in on itself, as if the inner core had been mangled from within. In seconds, Quish, with its small claim to fame, was reduced to some quadrillion tons of dust, drifting off into the cosmos, wiped from existence. The Doctor quickly scanned the area for survivors, but no other ships had managed to leave the surface after the TARDIS. All of them had been pulled back into the gravity collapse and destroyed. There had been thousands of people in the audience of the Hollow, and now every single one was dead. A spark of rage ignited in the Doctor's gut. Somebody did this. He checked the area again on a deep scan setting, which this time picked up one other spaceship. It was a mid-range transporter, which had been in a wide orbit around Quish, far enough away to remain safe, but close enough to receive a transmat beam. The Doctor set the coordinates to board the ship, but before he could materialise, the transporter's engines ignited and it sped into hyperspace. Oh, no, 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 you don't get away that easily, said the Doctor, and he wrenched the controls to track the ship's velocity and direction. Even a mid-range transporter could travel a long distance, but the only obvious destination for the next 7,000 light-years was a planet called Tuscuni. Gotcha, said the Doctor, and he set the TARDIS on a pursuit course. Some time later, when he stepped out of the police box, he found himself in an engine room. It was big, too big to belong to the ship he had tracked. A complex fusion engine was suspended high above, whilst underneath, sitting on a pair of simple fold-out chairs, were a man and a woman. Both were dressed in overalls and sipping mugs of tea. Official badges identified the woman as Chief Engineer Beck and the man as Assistant Chief Engineer Bull. The doctor recognised the engine type as a self-regulating model, and so suspected they were the only engineers on board. He jumped gently up and down on the spot. From the non-existent engine noise and the low level of G-force, he guessed they were in orbit around a planet with an Earth-like gravitational pull. The engineers stared at him mid-sip of tea. The doctor flashed the psychic paper. Don't worry, drop in inspection, just making sure you're sticking to your flight protocols. The engineers looked concerned. Don't worry, it all looks fine from here. Nice hardware. So, just for the record, this is the SS... Sure what, Dove, said Beck. Correct, said the Doctor. And we are currently orbiting... Tuscone, said Bull. Just checking. 
And that's important because... The peace celebration, said Beck. For Galactican Faragast. Of course! Obviously taking place on the upper decks. The doctor moved to a metal stairway that led up to a gantry level. Well done, all in order. Please, enjoy your tea. He clattered up the stairs, leaving the perplexed engineers to watch him go. The ship's tannoy bing-bonged. Welcome, all passengers, to the SS Pure White Tower. We hope you enjoy your stay with us. Please feel free to explore our frankly outstanding facilities and services while you are on board. Thank you. The upper decks revealed the SS Pure White Dove to be a luxury starliner. It was all gleaming corridors and vast lobbies inlaid with silver, gold and black marble effect. Very tacky, thought the Doctor. The sort of ship that only entertained the disgustingly wealthy or the vitally worthy. As the Doctor made his way down a garish corridor, a muffled thud drew his attention. It came from a discreetly placed access door. The Doctor pressed an ear to the door and heard the unmistakable sound of a scuffle. Listening in, he gathered it wasn't a fair fight. He pushed the door open and found himself in a distinctly unglamorous stairwell that connected all levels of the ship. On the next landing down, Tommy Loco was dangling two feet off the ground, held in the grasp of Tiny G. The elephantine alien had him pressed against the wall and was pushing hard on his chest with the other lumpy hand. You gotta leave us alone, Loco, wheezed Tiny G. Or it'll end badly for you. Tommy struggled to breathe, and when he spotted the doctor on the stairs, his eyes pleaded for help. Murder at a peace celebration, said the doctor. That's hardly the spirit of the occasion. Tiny G threw Tommy onto the stairs, with a journalist gasped for breath. Just warning him to keep his nose out, said Tiny G, in case he gets smashed to a pulp. Charming! Maybe just blanking him and refusing to sign an autograph would have sufficed. The doctor skipped down the stairs and helped Tommy to his feet. The problem is, what an entire planetoid disintegrates moments after you and your band safely transmit to a waiting spacecraft. Well, let's just say I've got previous when it comes to recognizing suspicious behavior. Tiny G's eyes narrowed. He reached down and unhooked his trumpet that hung from his belt. I can only apologize for any inconvenience caused, he said. Let me play you something to make amends. Inconvenience? Is that what you call it? said the doctor, his anger rising. But Tommy looked terrified. Not inconvenient for you, said Tiny G. For me? He raised the trumpet to his lips, pointing it at Tommy and the doctor. Tommy yanked the doctor to one side as Tiny G blew out a discordant note. An invisible beam thumped past them and impacted on the wall behind, crumpling their metal structure. Run! yelled the doctor, and he dragged Tommy up the stairwell. Tiny G blew more deadly notes, which threatened to crush their metal staircase. But the doctor and Tommy were fast, and the lumbering alien couldn't catch up. The blast ceased, and the doctor lost count of the number of decks they descended. They slipped out of another access door, after which the doctor pulled the sonic screwdriver from his pocket and pointed the device at the lock. Its green tip pulsated, and it emitted a high-pitched drone. The access door locked tight. What's that? A magic wand, said Tommy, still gasping. Don't be cheeky, said the doctor, and he hurried them through a busy public lobby and up a spiral staircase to a more secluded lounge area, where the young man began to breathe more easily. Right, no more cryptic talk, said the doctor. Why was Tiny G assaulting you? And don't tell me it's because you gave the quartet a bad review. 
Tommy was still reluctant. No, this is my story. I can't tell you. I don't care about your journalistic pride or your paranoia, said the doctor. I want to know why my favourite music venue was destroyed. Oh, and several thousand people murdered. All that after you ran away. I didn't know that was going to happen, protested Tommy. I sometimes wonder if I am deluded, but everywhere the Blitz Jazz Quartet play, they leave a trail of destruction. Over time, they seem to have become prolific killers, especially in the last half century. Somebody dies, a city suffers disaster, a planet vanishes. I've been investigating them for years, that's why they hate me. If what you say is true, then why hasn't anybody noticed before? The destruction isn't always immediate. It can happen months later, but there is always a link. So, why would they destroy Quish? The Carolandic Vice President, said Tommy. Every country on Flory 5 is entangled in a world war. It's been going on for 15 years. The Vice President was the only political leader pushing for the peace process. You're suggesting the entire planetoid was destroyed just to assassinate one man, said the Doctor. Tommy nodded. And the Blitzhead's Jazz Quartet are on the Starliner because... They're playing at this peace celebration tonight. There'll be big cheeses attending from all over the quadrant. I was on my way to meet a new contact when Tiny G grabbed me. Where is this contact? asked the Doctor. I think we had better speak to them. She works here, said Tommy, on the SS Pure White Dove. The Pure White Dove's massive promenade deck was lined with shops, restaurants and bars catering to varied tastes. At the virtual reality bar, you could have a flagon of mead with Robin Hood or a goblet of wine with King Solomon. Another bar served only liquidised fish-based beverages. There was even a 1980s Earth-style golf bar. But the Labyrinth Bar, where Tommy's contact worked, was classy and discreet, filled with a maze of carved partitions and darkened booths. The clientele was smart, and Tommy and the Doctor looked out of place as they entered. Nobody paid them much attention, apart from a bald, slender woman in a trouser suit who stood behind the counter. She appeared uncomfortable, but jerked her head sideways to indicate they should follow her to a far corner. The Doctor and Tommy sat on one side of a table, a single candle illuminating their faces. The bald woman slid in opposite them. Brexa? asked Tommy. Who's your friend? Brexa replied. The Doctor stared at Tommy, slightly confused. Are we friends? Don't we establish that? And how would she know, anyway? This is the Doctor, said Tommy. He's helping me. Actually, he saved my life. So it's cool for him to be here. Fine, said Brexa. Ask what you want, then go. Tell us about the Blitzass Jazz Quartet. Brexa instinctively glanced towards the exit. Did you know they were coming here? They can't find out I'm on board. Why would they care? asked the doctor. Because I used to be their band leader, she said. I'm from Galtara, like most of my kind, willing to fight before we could walk. I'm sorry to hear that, said the doctor. It's how it was. We always believed we were on the all-conquering side. Until everybody lost, friend and foe. Daltara's just a radioactive ember now, and my kind are almost extinct. I haven't seen another Galtaran for twenty years. And how did you end up in a jazz band? asked the doctor. Brexa glanced at the exit again. We went complete warmongers on Galtara. We went music too. I played the podrobum, something like a double bass, except you play it with your feet. 
and somehow they found me, told me they could use my unique skill set. You see, although the Blitzatz Jazz Quartet is a real band, they're also killers for hire. An assassination squad, said Tommy, almost with delight. I knew it! I knew I was right! Yes, confirmed Brexer. They use their music as weapons. The doctor remembered the strange pulse he had felt on Quish. It was all beginning to fit together. So, they use unique resonances emitting from sonic weaponry, combining in harmonic ways to create a variety of destructive rhythms. Brexer nodded. Targeted to eliminate anything. They can induce a heart attack or destroy small planets. Who did you work for? asked the doctor. Brexer shook her head. Who knows? Lots of people. They all like to stay anonymous. But we had a regular client who gave us the big gigs. And you? How many people did you kill? said Tommy. Too many for my conscience to bear, said Brexer. That's why I ditched that life. You keep glancing at the exit, said the doctor. It's like a nervous tick. My guess is you can never leave it behind. Not entirely. Brexer hesitated, as if her memory had jarred her. I had to fake my own death, she said. You see, nobody leaves the Blitzatz Jazz Quartet. You get retired. If they find me here, they'll be compelled to clean up that loose end. No, I will stop them, said the doctor. You won't, she replied. They'll kill you. But the doctor's expression didn't change. He was adamant. Watch them try. Brexit glanced around once more. There were customers waiting at the bar, and a colleague was looking at her with a frown. We're getting noticed. You must leave. I don't want to see either of you again. And with that, she removed herself from the booth and returned to work, without looking back. Let's go, said the doctor, and he ushered Tommy back out onto the promenade. Flory 5, Galtara. Is it odd that the Blitzads get themselves involved in such worldwide conflicts? Isn't that what mercenaries do, said Tommy. Fight for money. The doctor pondered, but didn't answer. Instead, he said, We'll have to assume that this Galactican Faragast is their next target. Then shouldn't we warn someone? Tell security? No. The Blitzads might act prematurely if they sense something's amiss. If they can obliterate a whole planet, then destroying this ship will be easier than popping a peapod. So, what do we do? asked Tommy. The doctor briefly wondered if the question was rhetorical. You know, for a journalist, you ask lots of questions, but don't make many connections. It's very simple, Tommy. We thwart the assassination ourselves. Tommy could only gawp as the doctor led the way. The ship's tannoy bing-bonged once again. Praise be. The peace celebration is about to commence. Please make your way to the observation deck. Praise be. How do we get in? Asked Tommy, as he followed the doctor up an ornate staircase to the observation deck. It won't be a problem, said the doctor. Everyone on board is here for the celebration. We'll just mingle at the back. They stepped onto the observation deck, a massive elongated dome, through which you could see the galaxy. The dome stretched the entire length of the liner, some 600 metres. At its centre... The floor became a large oval window, which looked down onto the deck below, a tropical atrium that housed a lush forest and lake. Big screens hovered high above, teasing the audience. There was no sign of the Galactican, but the Blitzatz Jazz Quartet were there, 
ready on stage and waiting for their victim. Tiny G had his trumpet in hand. Gricket was spinning his double bass in preparation. Pleep twirled five drumsticks, and Killius, instead of sitting at a piano, wore two hemispherical keyboards, one strapped to each hand like boxing gloves. The Doctor and Tommy were right at the back, far, far away from the stage where all the important business was about to happen. Forget mingling, said the Doctor. We need to get to the front. A confident young woman, wearing an officer's uniform, marched onto the stage, and a floating microphone glided over to her. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, all species, she began. As captain of the pure white dove, it is my honour, no, my greatest ever privilege, to introduce our exceptional guest. She's ready to join us from the planet's surface, where she has successfully brokered the peace between the warring tribes of Tuscuni. Her 100th successful negotiation. Please share your love and appreciation in welcoming Galactican Jamila Faragast. The crowd broke into dignified applause as the Blitzad's Jazz Quartet struck up an upbeat swing number. The Doctor and Tommy were less than halfway to the stage. The captain stood to one side as the whine of a transmat beam heralded the arrival of a squad of heavily armed android guards. Some of the audience members gasped, but the captain reassured them. Please don't worry, it's just our security team. The androids quickly surveyed the area and, sensing nothing untoward, formed a circle and stood at ease. A second transmat beam engaged, and slowly within the circle, a figure materialised. Jamila Faragast was an imposing-looking woman, probably in her late 60s, with bright yellow eyes that glinted with vigour. She wore the blue and white flowing robes that designated her status as a Galactican, an envoy of peace. The crowd's applause became wilder, but slowly subsided in anticipation of Jamila's speech. The Blitzats did not stop playing, but changed tempo and slid into a slow, smooth harmony. Thank you, Captain, said Jamila in a clear, strong voice. The honour is truly mine. My background should never have led me to this point, but lead me it did. Deep in the crowd, the Doctor and Tommy continued to press forward. The Blitzats could kill her at any second, said Tommy. The Doctor looked above their heads and spun 360 degrees, pointing to all the sound speakers that hovered around the dome. They could kill everyone on this deck if they see us coming. The mixing desk, said Tommy. Over there! A temporary booth had been positioned discreetly to avoid blocking anyone's view of the stage. The Doctor and Tommy squeezed their way towards it, only to find an android guard blocking their way. No admittance, said the artificial voice. We have some emergency audio maintenance to perform, said the Doctor. Not verified, it replied. Don't get all nobody told me, Gov, said the Doctor. Listen very carefully. The Galactican is in danger. That jazz band is going to assassinate her. The android cocked its head. What grounds do you have for this accusation? Inside information. I cannot act on one source, said the android. The probability is that you are lying. Okay, so you're programmed to double-check information, but compute this. The Galactican is the greatest living peace negotiator in the galaxy. Surely any probability of danger, however small, means you must act. The android hesitated. Look, I've seen this before, said Tommy. The Blitzat Jazz Quartet are killers. Do something. The android appeared to pause for a second, and then... Emergency transmission. All security units. Dual corroboration. Suspected assassination attempt on the Galactican. 
Suspects are Blitzat's Jazz Quartet. On the stage, the squad of androids jerked to life, and three of them closed around Jamila, shielding her from the Blitzats. The other three drew their weapons and approached the band. The crowd began to murmur, unsure if this was part of the celebration. The doctor climbed into the mixing booth, but a series of discordant notes suddenly echoed from the speakers and sounded out across the observation deck. Sparks burst from within the chest plates of every android in the room. Each toppled to the floor with a clang. The doctor's hands raced across the mixing desk, shutting down the entire sound system. The crowd was startled and growing with disquiet. On the stage, Jamila's expression was frozen in shock. Her microphone no longer worked, but she was saying something to the Blitzats. The band got to their feet and raised their musical instruments with deadly intent. The captain rushed to Jamila's side, but as she took the Galactican's arm, a bum note from Tiny G's trumpet cut through the noise of the crowd. The captain was rammed off the stage by an invisible force and thrown across the floor like an unwanted toy. Tommy stopped to tend her, but the doctor knew it was futile. He reached the stage and leapt up to grab Jamila's hand. Galactican Farrakast, I'm the doctor. Pleased to meet you, but you're in some very serious danger. Jamila glanced back at the Blitzats as the doctor bundled her off the stage and dashed to one of the rear exits. Tommy, we're leaving. But Tommy was now cut off from being reunited with the doctor as the Blitzats rampaged across the stage after their target. Kilius spotted Tommy crouching over the dead captain and grinned a serrated smile. Get after them, he hissed to his bandmates. I've got some business here to put an end to. Leap, Gricket and Tiny G set off in pursuit of the Doctor and Jamila. Now it was just Kilius and Tommy left on the observation deck. Tommy rose and backed away. The crocodilian dropped down from the stage, landing with a heavy thud. Tommy Loco, always after a story, but never really finding one. Always chasing us like some sad groupie who can't let go. Unable to see when you're not wanted. Tommy continued retreating. I'm a big fan, it's true. But it looks like you've all got some issues with being in a famous band. Suddenly, Tommy felt cold metal against the small of his back. It was the railing that surrounded the oval window laid into the floor. Through it, he could see down onto the lush atrium deck. But up here, there was nowhere left to run. He turned back to Kilius and flashed a desperate smile. So... How about you tell me the whole story? Give me an exclusive. <sighs> Hissed Kilius. You love that. And that's the problem with you obsessives. You want to know every last detail when you haven't got the right to know any damn thing. But the truth, Tommy Loco, is that you're the one person who knows far too much already. Kilius raised the two mini keyboards and stroked the keys. Tommy toppled back over the railing as concentrated sound waves narrowly missed his head and slammed into the oval window, cracking the glass. Glass that Tommy was now sprawled against. He barely had time to register this before the window shattered and sent him falling toward the lush, tropical lake below. Tommy felt the cuts from the tumbling shards more than he felt the smack of hitting the water. The impact forced the air from his lungs and almost weightless, he spun down into the murk. Writing himself, he scrambled up towards the light, holding back the urge to breathe. He surfaced, gasped for air, and instinctively began to freestyle through the tropical mangrove trees, searching for the edge of the lake. Somewhere, not far behind him, came a massive splash. 
Tommy twisted around to see a ripple spreading out across the water. Then the mighty form of Kilius broke the surface and powered straight towards him. Tommy put his head down and swam for his life, knowing he only had a few seconds at best. When his knees hit the bed of the lake and his hands grappled with mangrove roots, he hoisted himself out of the water and raced for the exit. Kilius tore through the mangroves and leaped from the lake, flying at Tommy like a wingless dragon, snarling with hate. Tommy hurled himself through the exit and punched the locking mechanism. The doors slid shut as the crocodilian slammed against them on the other side. But it wasn't over. Those doors wouldn't hold and Kilius wouldn't give up. Tommy was on his own with a professional assassin chasing him down. And without the doctor, he didn't fancy his chances. In pain and soaking wet, Tommy began to run. Perhaps, just perhaps, there was one other hope of getting out of this alive. The doctor led Jamila through the lower decks, trying to remember the way back to the engine room. Anxious passengers hurried past like agitated ants whose nest had been poked with a stick. You abandoned your friend, said Jamila with a hint of disapproval. I didn't abandon him, we got separated, said the doctor. He'll be fine, he's more resourceful than he thinks. Anyway, you're the one they're trying to kill. It's appalling, she said. Somebody doesn't like you very much, the doctor observed. I get that all the time. I have to get off this ship, said Jamila. I have a shuttle in private dock. My own ship isn't far, he said, and it will be much safer. They reached the T-junction, and the doctor noticed a service lift a little way down the corridor. But then he saw something coming towards them at speed. Clinging upside down to the ceiling, with his double base strapped to his back, was the insectoid, Gricket. Maybe not this way, said the doctor, and turned, only to see Pleep the Creep bouncing towards them from the other direction. Two drumsticks in his hands, and another in his tail that he slammed against the walls. The sticks vibrated and crackled with sonic energy. There was no way they could get to the TARDIS. Where's your shuttle again? asked the Doctor, backtracking from the approaching assassins. Private Dock 3, said Jamila. This way. She took his hand and they ran. The ship's tannoy bing-bonged and the happy voice chimed. To all passengers and crew, we have a small situation on board. Please return to your cabins and await further instructions. Thank you. Tommy hurtled down the promenade deck, trying to stay hidden among the fleeing crowd. Now the staff in the bars and restaurants were emerging to see what was going on and why there was growing panic. Then Tommy clapped eyes on Brexa, standing nervously at the entrance to the labyrinth bar. As he stumbled up to her, those nerves gave way to fury and she grabbed him. What have you done? she demanded, shaking him roughly. The Blitzats, he said. They tried to kill the Galactican. Tried? Brexa sounded incredulous. You actually stopped them? The doctor did. I think he escaped with her. But right now we got a bigger problem. They heard a distant three-note discord from piano keys, and then a thud as a group of passengers were flung through the air by a sonic blast. Brexa gasped at the sight of the hulking shape striding down the centre of the promenade towards them. Kilius! Oh no, not him! The crocodilian rasped in surprised delight. Brexa, why am I not surprised to see you alive? I always suspected that premature explosion in New Orleans was just for show. You were way too good to have such a sloppy death. 
Tommy whispered to Brexer. I've got a rover in the main hangar. Can he get us there? Brexer pulled Tommy inside the bar. Out the back, now! As a pair of sound waves turned the ornate carved wooden entrance into splinters. Killius kicked the debris aside and pushed his way through the panelled maze, glimpsing Brexer and Tommy zigzagging out of sight. The band hates unfinished business, Brexer, he called after them. I know you're resourceful, but don't worry, you'll be properly retired today. At Private Dock 3, Jamila calmly led the Doctor towards an airlock. The Doctor stayed alert. He was almost surprised that Blitzats hadn't caught up with him already. You're very cool for somebody who alien assassins are determined to kill, he said. I've been around war and death most of my life, she said. I live with these threats daily. She tapped a code onto her entry screen and the airlock doors hissed open. They hurried through the docking ring and entered the shuttle. The interior was dark, but lights began to flicker on as soon as they stepped into the main cabin. Part luxurious lounge, part cockpit. I'll disengage us, said the doctor. We'll get you away from the pure white dove, then figure out what to do with the blitzats. You ain't doing nothing, said Tiny G, spinning around in the pilot's chair. Oh, hello again, said the doctor, as he jumped back to protect Jamila. They quickly backed towards the airlock, only to see Gricket and Pleep already inside it. The Doctor sized up the shuttle, looking for a way out. To the stern, between two access corridors, was a heavy door with a single porthole window. Escape pod, cried the Doctor, and he pushed Jamila towards it. She clambered inside the single-seat pod and sealed the door behind herself. The Doctor could see her through the window. She remained unperturbed. Go, go, he said, and turned back as Gricket and Pleep boarded the shuttle. Now stop there! The Galactican is out of reach, and if you use your sonic weaponry in here, you'll rupture the hull and kill us all. Then he heard a giggle, odd and echoing. It was coming from the pod. The doctor saw Jamila trying to suppress a laugh and completely failing. What? he asked. What's funny? Are you having a breakdown or something? Because this is no time for hysteria. And why are you still here? I told you to go. Jamila composed herself. I'm sorry, Doctor, but there's a funny little piece of information that you missed. You see, I'm not the assassin's target. I'm their client. The Doctor noticed that Blitzat's trio react. This was new to them, too. Jamila elaborated. We've met before, Doctor, a long, long time ago. I am a Dreed. Do you remember the Dreed? The Doctor frowned. The name rang a bell. I'm sure it'll come back to me, he said. When I was a little girl, she continued, my father was our greatest command leader, hell-bent on winning a violent war. The more violent, the better, he always said. But then you arrived, with your talk of cooperation and living together and loving the neighbour. You bent his mind and delayed his decisions just when we had the chance to obliterate the enemy. But hesitation is extinction. I watched as my people were slaughtered because of your interference. So you see, you are the Blitzaz Jazz Quartet's true target. And after 50 years of waiting, I will finally have my revenge. Before the doctor could say anything, the pure white dub's tannoy system chimed in once more. To all passengers. 
Can I get rid of that? said the doctor, and he operated to control before anyone could stop him. The tannoy fell silent. That's better. Now, Galactican, come and start again at the beginning. Tommy and Brexa reached a dead end, although it might be more accurate to call it a living end. A mass of people crowded around the main hangar entrance, its wide doors shut tight. A small group of passengers were using their combined might to try and force them open without success. A ship's technician frantically worked on an exposed control panel, presumably trying to override the lock. Is there another way in? asked Tommy. There are plenty, said Brexa. A feathered passenger overheard them and blinked with fear. No, every way in is locked, she chirped. We're shut out. From the lightboats too. The sound of boogie-woogie from an untuned piano cut through the air, followed by a double wump and the shattering of titanium. It sent the crowd into a frenzy, and people scattered as Killius barged through. Get it open, screamed Brexer to the technician just before a pianistic blast threw him against a far wall with a skull-cracking crunch. Brex and Tommy were backed up against the hangar door. Tommy could see clearly through to his rover on the other side. It was their one hope of escape, frustratingly cut off, and now Killius was upon them. Brexer jabbed at a comms button in desperation. If there's anybody in there, get this door open, please! The crocodilian snarled with some sympathy. You can't get away. The pure white dove is in lockdown. All external communications are blocked. Nobody can leave and nobody can raise a one. As far as the galaxy is concerned, everything is normal. Zero comms is never normal, said Tommy. What about the media? Publicity for the celebration? It's a private event. No media allowed. All personal transmissions must go through the ship's server and have been held in a buffer for the last hour. When this ship explodes with all hands, nobody will ever figure out why. But you'll survive, said Brexer. You'll be implicated. Killius gave a happy hiss and shook his head. <laughs> no, Brexer. You see, this is our final gig. It's what we've been working towards for some time. One last job for our mysterious long-term client. We're following your lead and faking our own untimely demise. The galaxy is a big place. Plenty of far-flung systems in which to lay low and have a happy, living retirement. Murder is in your blood, Killius, said Brexer. You can never retire. Killius raised his musical weapons as the Tannoy system chimed in. To all passengers, we apologize for any inconvenience, but we are still experiencing a tiny incident at this time. Please remain in your cabins until... And then the cheerful voice cut out, and a more somber voice replaced it. That's better. Now, Galactican, come and start at the beginning. It was the Doctor. Back on board the shuttle, the Doctor needed to keep his wits. Locked in with three assassins and an apparently deranged peace guru... This was going to be a tricky situation to get out of. His plan needed to be good. No, really, really good. With a supernova's eyes explosion of luck thrown in. Let's kill him now and be done, clicked Gricket. Hold your horses. The Galactican and I can have a final chat first. The doctor turned to speak to Jamila through the escape pod window. Can we, Jamila? 
Call it my last request. Go ahead, she said smugly. The doctor looked contrite. I do vaguely remember the dread. Jamila's eyes sparkled with scorn. Vaguely, she said. For that insult to their memory alone, you deserve to die. My people suffered. I never wanted anyone to suffer, said the doctor. I never ever want that. What was the dread's code of honor? That motto? No, 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 don't tell me. It was for glory, for pain, for conquest. Conquest, corrected Jamila. Ah, yes, I always get those two mixed up. The doctor began to pace, attentively watched by Tiny G, Gricket, and Pleep. The Dreed were fighting the Rodella. Weren't they lizards? Amphibians, said Jamila. Poisonous, untrustworthy newts. And you've been fighting them forever. War was in the blood, the very psyche of both species. And then you were given the chance of peace. I believe I begged your father to accept that deal. The Rodella already had. No offense intended, but your father was a foolishly stubborn man. He believed we would be betrayed and subjugated, said Jamila, her anger flaring. That's it, thought a doctor. Keep her talking. The Rodella wanted peace, but they saw your father's hesitation as a ploy and attacked first. If I was guilty of anything, it was of not being persuasive enough. The Dreed and Rodella could have become allies, perhaps friends, definitely better beings. Trust me, I've seen a fair few planets and met a fair few folk. The universe needs better beings. I am better, snapped Jamila. I survived. The doctor kept pacing, kept observing the layout of the shuttle. But you're still full of your people's rage, Jamila. That code of honor is still rattling around inside your head, in spite of becoming a big cheese in the peace business. If there's one thing I learned from the fall of the dreed, Doctor, it's that outright aggression doesn't always succeed. Yes, a bully doesn't often win friends, said the Doctor. Neither does a do-gooding universe trotter like you, she spat back. So you elevate yourself to Galactican, Jamila Faragast, the ultimate peace guru, but with a secret agenda. The Doctor glanced over at the Blitzatz trio. I presume you inspire peace by having each side compromise before you swoop in with a winning plan? Profiting from your ever-growing reputation with lectures on diplomacy, personal appearances, private celebrations, gifts, glory in a different form. Jamila shrugged. For me, Doctor, peace is just conquest by deception. And the Carolandic Vice President? Was he too big a rival for you? Absolutely, she agreed. Besides, Flory Five isn't ready for peace just yet. Those factions need to soften each other up some more. Like I said, conquest by deception. And you think that makes you better? The doctor could feel his own fury simmering. You found your fame, but at what cost? How many planets have you allowed to be ravaged? How many races dragged to the point of extinction? How many children made orphans by your backward code of honor? It was worth it, she hissed. The doctor seethed at her arrogance. You're nothing but a secret warmonger. Too above yourself to do your own dirty work. Just a pathetic little monster with a jazz fetish. She smiled, as if glad that she'd finally riled him. I love the way jazz can be so chaotic. It's the music of warriors. When I stumbled upon the quartet and discovered they were mercenaries, I saw so much potential. I instantly knew there was something that you would want to stop. That's why I secretly hired them, and over time, moulded them into the elite killers they are now. But whatever job I asked them to do, 
They were always to look out for a man with a little blue box who flits across the universe. If they ever heard the name Doctor, they were to send a signal and await rendezvous coordinates, because I knew you would surely follow them. And you have. Now they can finish the job, and I can watch the destroyer of the Dreed die. Kill him! Before the musicians could react, the Doctor dived towards the cockpit controls and slammed a series of levers. With roars and strains, the shuttle's engines engaged, violently shaking the craft and knocking the assassins off their feet. An alarm sounded, and a computer voice called out. Warning. Safety mechanism still engaged. Warning. The hull groaned as the shuttle wrenched against the airlock. Stop him! Stop him! cried Jamila. Pleep leaped forward and landed on the Doctor's neck, wrapping his tail around the Time Lord's throat. The Doctor gasped as he began to choke but reached out and swept a hand across the controls. Immediately, the airlock closed and the shuttle rolled away from the pure white dove, throwing Pleep across the cabin. Warning, said the computer. Engines critically damaged. Shuttlecraft compromised, transmitting SOS. The Blitzatz trio was stunned with confusion until the doctor spelt it out. Sorry, overloading the engines while still docked is never a good move. Basically, I left the handbrake on. Oops! Now we all die. Except me, said Jamila. I always survive. And she slammed a button to launch the escape pod. Nothing happened. She tried again. Still nothing. What have you done, Doctor? She screamed. What have you done? I didn't want you to leave the party early, Jamila, said the Doctor. Still fun and games to be had. Maybe even jelly. What do you want? She said. I have influence. I can give you anything. I just want the truth to come out, he said. And, with any luck, a rescue. Through the cockpit window, a small, short-range rover appeared and flew over the shuttle's bow. A crackle came across the intercom. Doctor! Doctor, are you there? It was Tommy. What kept you? said the doctor. I reversed the lockdown ages ago. I've been treading very dangerous waters out here. We've been listening, but our new friends still needed some convincing. Who? Brexa? No, not me, Doctor, came Brex's voice. But you'll see, he wants to come aboard. There was a clunk as the rover's docking magnets locked onto the shuttle. The airlock doors parted and Killius lumbered through to the relief of his bandmates. They greeted him with backslaps and high fives, or in his case, high sevens. For a few brief seconds, they looked like a true musical quartet instead of a squad of killers. Warning, engine integrity failing relayed the computer. We need to get off the shuttle, said the doctor. Killius eyed the Time Lord warily, but ignored him and approached Jamila's escape pod. Killius, she pleaded. That's the doctor. Make him open this door. Make him. Killius put a long finger to his lips and shushed her to be quiet. I did wonder why our instructions were to kill the doctor, destroy the ship, save the Galactican, he said. And now that I've talked to a surprisingly knowledgeable journalist, it all makes sense. Tell me, Jamila, do you remember the invasion of Savino? The burning of Insidia? The Okane massacre? How about the supervolcano of Krokos? Do any of these events sound familiar to you? He made a sweeping gesture towards his bandmates. Disasters that laid waste to each of our home worlds, not long after a previous Blitzatz lineup had played there. Those calamities ultimately led to each one of us joining the quartet. 
Jamila defended herself. I saved you, each of you. We were victims of your outrages, simmered Kilius. You had your talent spotters pluck us out, and then used us to continue your destruction. You mean she made us? Clicked Gricket. Kilius nodded. Made us monsters, true monsters. In gratitude for being saved, we gave up our souls to a secret benefactor. Her, Jamila Faragast. He looked down at the keyboard weapons strapped to his wrists. Only the music kept us sane. Then we've got a score to settle, wheezed Tiny G. So right, said Pleep, crackling his drumsticks upon the floor. She needs that drum, did to her? Kilius turned to the doctor. Well, open the pod and let her find out what monsters she created. No, said the doctor. I won't let you murder her. You think we're gonna let you save her? I never said that. But you do need saving from yourselves. The doctor pressed a button on the controls. You're free to launch your escape pod, Jamila. You'll land somewhere down on Toscuni. Perhaps on the side of the Victorious, perhaps among the vanquished. Jamila sighed with relief and pressed the launch button again. But the doctor hadn't finished. Either way, our earlier conversation was also transmitted down to the planet for all to hear. Whoever finds you, they know you watch their cities burn for your own pleasure and gain. I hope they'll be merciful. Jamila's face turned white with a terrifying realization. No, wait, don't do it, doctor, she pleaded. Please, there is no mercy on Tiscuni. The doctor stared at her without pity. But you already launched the pod, remember? Three, two, one. There was just enough time to see Jamila's hopeless expression before the pod ejected into space. Whatever was to become of Jamila Faragast, she was a Galactican no more. Warning, engine integrity failing, repeated the computer. Yes, yes, we know, snapped the doctor. Right, you lot, off the ship now. The band started to move, but Kilius stood solid. When the others noticed, they took their cue and remained standing beside their leader. What are you waiting for? pressed the doctor. The shuttle's going to explode. There's nowhere for us to go, said Kilius. Is there, guys? His bandmates murmured their agreement. Nope. Too right, boss. End of the road. Kilius flexed his fingers. You've blown our cover, doctor. Now everybody knows who we are and what we've done. There'll be investigations, trials, and all that dull legal stuff. It'll probably end in humiliating executions, or worse, incarceration at Stormcage. No thank you. Besides, that little rover only has room for one more. The doctor wasn't giving up. I can get you off. I can leave and be back in a few seconds, take you to another part of the galaxy, or a completely different galaxy. Kilius looked to his bandmates, who all shook their heads. Thank you, Doctor, but we're not going to change. And only we can save us from ourselves. Not you. We're going to play our last gig. Right here. Just for us. The quartet began to prepare their instruments. You're welcome to stay and listen if you'd like, but it'll be the last thing you hear. The Doctor grimaced. Just isn't really my thing. I guessed as much, said Killius, And he shoved the Doctor into the airlock sealing the doors behind him. The Doctor hurriedly clambered aboard the rover, 
where Brexer and Tommy were waiting. You're cutting it fine, said Brexer. Yes, it's a bad habit, said the doctor, strapping himself in. Tommy released the docking magnets and flew the rover clear. There's another rescue ship coming in for the shuttle. Tell them to stay back, said the doctor. But it's going critical. The Blitzats want a short time to themselves. I was hoping to get an interview, once they're in custody, of course. A sweet, melancholy blues began to play over the intercom as the rover retreated from the shuttle. Sorry, Tommy, said the doctor, but I think all windows in their schedule are about to close. The music quickly transformed into a heavier, faster, discordant jam. The doctor switched off the intercom. Probably best not to listen to this particular tune. The shuttle disintegrated in a moment, leaving nothing but dust and particles shooting off into the vacuum. Within a few seconds, there was no evidence that anything had been there at all. The doctor sighed. I'm afraid the Blitzad's jazz quartet have officially broken up. He felt a weight of responsibility. His attempt at doing good all those years ago had rippled down into decades of chaos. Just because I'm the doctor, some people believe that means I can do anything. Change history, save galaxies, stop wars, and do it every single time. But I can't. Jamila Farakast prove that I can't. On the pure white dove, order was slowly being restored, as passengers were evacuated to ships that had responded to the shuttle's SOS. Back in the hangar, Brexer and the Doctor disembarked from the rover. Don't worry, your secret is safe with me, said the Doctor. Nobody needs to know you were a Blitzatz member. But what about Tommy? Oh, if he ever mentions my name, he knows I'll come for him. The doctor frowned. I won't really, she added. But he doesn't need to know that. That's an insurance policy of sorts, said the doctor. Perhaps now that you're free from hiding, you could go back to playing music. Minus the deadly sonic blasts, of course. Of course, she agreed, and then looked thoughtful. Maybe I will. Goodbye, doctor. Brexa walked away as Tommy exited the rover. Hey, Brexa, are you leaving? She half turned, but continued walking. Yep. Remember, don't ever mention my name. Tommy gulped, and the doctor smiled. You know, I've got a much bigger craft than that little rover. It lets me rattle around all of time and space. I could offer you a trip somewhere. Tommy gulped again. You don't really work for Interstellar Music Monthly, do you? No, I'm just a traveller. I travel and explore and get mixed up in all sorts of trouble. Tommy thought about it for a second, and then held out his hand. Thanks for the offer, Doctor. But I've had enough danger and intrigue over the past few months. Right now, I've got a book to write. The biggest music story of all the age. So goodbye, and thanks again. Goodbye, Tommy, said the Doctor, shaking his hand. He turned to seek the way to the engine room in the TARDIS, and then turned back as a thought occurred to him. What are you going to call your book, just so I know for when I'm next browsing the shelves? Rhythm of Destruction, said Tommy. The true story of the Blitzatz Jazz Quartet. Good title, said the Doctor. I'll definitely read it. Once I find some quiet time. <laughs>
Doctor Who, Rhythm of Destruction by Darren Jones, was read by Dan Starkey and is published by BBC Audio. Audible hopes you've enjoyed this programme.